Well, we come to a point now where we um, want to just look at a few things uh, with what we've been working through in this series uh, when it comes to the, the character of God. And, uh, you know, one of the more important questions that we can ask ourselves is, what is God like? It's been amazing, even out of last week when I talked about, um, is God angry? A number of people have come up to me and have just asked questions and someone even put someone who uh, isn't a church goer to ring me because they must have been talking to them about this. And uh, out of it came this question of knowing what we're speaking on this morning is God judgmental. They asked this question, how can a loving, how can God or can God in fact be a God of judgment and be a God of love. Can God be a God of judgment and a God of love? It was good to have a conversation with them about that, but it made me think a little bit more about what I want to speak on this morning. And I really want to address that thought, because I think there's a lot of people out there that think, well, is God, as I think about his character, can he in fact be a God of love and a God of judgment? putting those two together. Now, when we think of God's character, a lot of people do think like this person wrote by the name of Emma Goldman. And she wrote this, Christianity, I'm not sure if it's on there, my apologies, I'll just read it out. She said, Christianity is the leveller of the human race, the breaker of man's will to dare and to do, an iron net, a straight jacket which does not let him expand or grow. A lot of people, when they think of the character of God, it's like, well, is he, is he, he just seems harsh. Just, is there any joy in God? Is he all about judgment? Is In fact, is there any love at all? So is God judgmental? Can God be a God of love and at the same time be a God... Of judgment. I want to begin today by reading a, a little bit of Second uh, Timothy chapter four, just to highlight a few little things, and it'll come up on the screen. Um, and it says this: In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. It goes on to say here. Paul to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But keep your head in all situation, endure hardship do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And he goes on to say in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there in store for me is the crown of righteousness, here he says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also who have longed for his appearing. So in knowing this and what it says in 2 Timothy, I think it's really important to know that as we start up, that he is a judge. 
But what Timothy points out, what, what we hear through Paul, is that he is a righteous judge, that he is a fair judge. And throughout Scripture, we read this of God, that he is a judge. We see this through the Psalms, we see it in Isaiah. And we also see that through the Scriptures, Ephesians 3, and we see it even as we talked through last week, that God is a God of love. But knowing that and believing it is two totally separate things for a lot of people. How can God be a God who is a God of judgment, but also a God of love? Hence that phone call that I got. But can't put those two things together. So this morning I want to address just a couple of questions that came out of a discussion that I had and a few other thoughts. And we're working through a new system on the computer, so I've just put all the questions there so you can just look at them. But here are some of them here. Can God be a God of love and a God of judgment? Does love and judgment disqualify one another? Can love exist in the presence of judgment? Where does God's mercy sit in all of this? Can God's justice bring hope? Why, in fact, does God even pass judgment? You know, I'm not sure about you, but it's hard to trust somebody who is morally untrustworthy. You can't trust them. I'm sure all of us here probably know at least one person that if you tell them something, there's a fair chance they're going to tell someone else. Even if you might have told them, please don't say anything. It's probably got to a point now where you don't even do that with them. You don't share it with them. For a large number of people, especially those who aren't Christians, if you're here this morning... I think it's just terrific that you're here this morning to hear this. And I hope even some of these questions that you might have, hopefully might even get answered for you. But there are a number of Christians that ask this, as well as non-Christians, is God morally trustworthy? Why doesn't God just forgive people? Why does he act in judgment? Isn't that inconsistent with his character? Is God trustworthy? Can God show love and judge at the same time? Is it possible? You know, as I mentioned last week, one of the things that a number of people will say to me, and I'm sure those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you may well have heard of this, heard this statement as well, that there's a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament is one where I read it's one that's full of anger, vengeance, war. That's his specialty. Then you read the New Testament, he's a God of love, he's a God of mercy, he's a God of kindness. But as, as I stated last week, again, really important to take hold of, even if you remember just this today, that the God that Jesus referenced and that he spoke of and that he spoke of his love and reverence and and, and, and quoted so much is the God of the Old Testament. And if you are willing, because some of us find this hard, we just read the New Testament over and over and over again. We don't really open the Old Testament too much. But as we read both, I believe that's solved, that that is not two different gods. You see a God of love and judgment both in the Old Testament as you will see in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's a book called Jonah. It's believed it's one of the oldest books of the Old Testament. 
And you may have read this before. For some of you, you've never heard the story before. We don't have time to go through it all right now. But just very quickly, it's the story of Jonah. Jonah is a, is a, is a man who's told by God to go to a place called Nineveh, to, to go to, and to, to be with the people, to speak into the lives of the people that need to repent, to turn back to God. But here's the thing with Jonah. He was not keen at all to go. So he chooses to go on a boat that's going totally the other way. And for those of us that have read it, we've probably heard the story in Sunday school for many of us. But again, for those of you that haven't heard it, a storm comes. Jonah jumps out of the boat and he's swallowed by a mighty big sea creature. After a day or two, a couple of days, he gets vomited up onto a beach. And that experience that he goes through, he says, well, I'm going to go. And he goes to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the message that God has given him to preach. And everyone repented. Now imagine just for a minute, if that's God speaking to you and he calls you to go to a place, not just a little place like Adelaide, but a, no, I'm only joking, but like a big place. And you go there and you go with that same message, you preach that very simple message of repent, and everyone in that city, every man, every woman, becomes a Christian. How would you feel about it? How would you feel? Well, I'd, I don't know about you, but I'd feel pretty excited. In fact, I'd probably want to just remind you continually of what took place, maybe. But you'd want to tell your story. People would say to you, what, what happened? How did that go down? And that's what happened to Jonah. That's what he experiences, this, this revival. And this is Jonah's reaction. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Now, this anger that he had, this wasn't just, well, I'm a bit angry. No, this is pity your stomach anger. He prayed to the Lord, is this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. You know what he's complaining? He's complaining, God, you're so gracious. You're so compassionate. You're so slow to anger. You're so abounding in love. You relent from sending calamity. The Jonah's complaining and he's upset and he has a problem with the God of the Old Testament because he's just way too loving. Folks, you're going to read about God's love and forgiveness in the Old Testament just as much as you will read of God's love and forgiveness in the New Testament. Having said that, how do we understand this text? Because Jonah was angry. He's telling the how he felt about these people. He didn't like them. He didn't like them at all. You know, one of the greatest problems we have today is when we think about God's judgment, him being a judge, 
and his justice in this world. And we, what we actually do is we confuse his, his judgment with revenge. Now, I'm not sure about you. When you go to the movies, I like the movies. I love like James Bond. I love Die Hard. I like um, Mission Impossible type of movies. Anyone else like them? Okay, those who didn't admit, just put your hands up because I know a lot of you don't, but I better not raise my hand in church. But, but I love those kind of movies. One of the things that I like about those movies is, is the, um, the suspense. But, but what I like about those movies is it's normally a bad guy versus Tom Cruise, Bruce Willis, James Bond. And what do we want with the bad guys what do we want to happen with them we want to get them to get caught right is anyone out there do we no we want them dead we want them to suffer extreme pain like horrid pain some of you going oh wow really you need to speak to someone but come to the movies with me i remember one time went to a mission impossible i don't know which one it was um Anyway, it's when he was doing the suction caps in, anyway, one of them. And some of you are going, well, you need to see it again. But the, the dead guy just wouldn't die. <laughs> and the movie was packed. And at the end of the movie, when, I don't, what, Tom Cruise, I don't even know his character, what's his character's name again? Someone? Thank you. Yeah, him. And um, he died. And everyone in the movie went, woo! <laughs> it was, I mean, I let it. And it was just great. <laughs> he eventually died. He got what he deserved. He got death. You know, we often talk about justice, but what we mean is revenge. We want revenge. But here's the thing. It's really important as we think of the character of God... God as a judge and the way in which he does judge, we're not to get those two things confused. They're not the same. We need to make sure with those words, those thoughts, we don't get them misunderstood. As we think of God and his justice and his judgment in terms of his character. So why does God judge in the first place? That's a good question. Why, why does he pass judgment on us? He's a loving God. Just before we jump into that, let, I think it's worth probably looking at God and his nature of love. Because as we think about judgment and we think about his love, it's worth knowing just what his love is, how abounding it is. You know, I came across this quote that um, covers both of these two areas, his judgment, his justice, and his love. And it said this, True love doesn't exist in the absence of judgment. True love exists in the presence of it. True love doesn't exist in the absence of judgment. True love exists in the presence of it probably a good quote for us parents as well just on a side note so many of us here 
all of us, I think, but many people struggle with the fact of being loved. To know what it feels like to be loved, the intimacy of love in our life. We will go about projecting an image out there so that we can be loved. Wanting people to love us and accept us. The trouble is that people fall in love with the image and not the real me. One of the things that you notice when you think of the very rich, you think of uh, famous people, you think of movie stars, you think of athletes, these sort of people, is what you find out about them is that they're terribly lonely people. Because everybody knows their image, but they don't know the real person. On the other hand, those of us who are what we might say everyday people, when we have people in our life who know the real me, they know my failings, they know my weaknesses, they know the darker side of my character, they know all about us. When we have people like that in our life, yet those same people still not only love us but like us, it's the most meaningful relationships we have. So when something really tough comes up, they're the people that we go to. We trust them. We know that they, they will listen to us. And despite what we have done, they will still love us. They, that true love doesn't exist in the absence of judgment. True love exists in the presence of it. In other words, I love you. You're a meaningful person in my life, despite what you do. I know the real you. You don't have to be false around me. I came across this, um, let's call it a thesis, written about this, and it's really fascinating. It was written by a small group of contemporary, uh, I think, theologians, at this point I'll call them. They go by the name of the Black Eyed Peas. And, and they wrote this piece called Where is the Love? And there is no way I'm going to sing it. But I'm going to read a few of the, the, the chapters to you. The chapters, the verses. Verses to you. It goes like this. People killing, people dying. Children hurt, and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? Or would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. As I'm getting older, you all people get colder. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images in the main, is the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids want to act like what they see in the cinema. Whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding. Leading us away from unity. And, and I love this line here. It makes you sit up and listen. They're saying, the truth is kept secret. It's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. 
The truth is kept in secret. It's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. They're right. True love doesn't exist in the absence of judgment. True love exists in the presence of it. You know, when people show you love and they tell you that they love you and they know the truth about you, despite all of that, all the weaknesses and and the darker side of you, yet they still are your friend. And they love you despite all of that. Folks, that is exactly how God loves us. Loves you. God sees us for what we really are. He sees us as we really are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows my failings. He knows your shortcomings. He knows exactly what you are like. Folks, the message of the gospel isn't that that God came into this world to, to rescue good people. That's not the message of the gospel. That's why the Bible says this is love, that, 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 not, that we have, um, not that we have loved, but God first loved us. And that he sent his son Jesus to sacrifice for our sins. As Romans 5 says, for, for God demonstrated his own love for us, for you, for me, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, God didn't come into the world going, well, where are the good people? I'll come for that little group of good people. He came into the world knowing exactly what we are all like. And, and he comes to make us, in a sense, lovely. He loves us despite our failings, our shortfalls, our choices that we make. Do you have that kind of love in your life? I believe it's the most meaningful kind of love that you can have. That is the character of God. That is his love. So with God, love and judgment aren't two separate categories. They don't exclude each other. They don't disqualify each other. Now back to Jonah. Now Jonah is angry and he's angry at God. And God asks him in verse 4 of chapter 4, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And God in fact asks him again, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah says, yes, indeed I'm angry. And I want to die. Now, what, what we do know is this, is that there was a little uh, palm, a little leaf that went over the top of Jonah to keep him um, free of the sun, per se. We can be assured that that wasn't why he wanted to die, because that leaf had died. There was much bigger issues here. I think his source of anger is what a lot of us can actually relate to, this side of anger, that deals with justice. When justice collapses, when justice isn't done. Here Jonah finds himself sent to a group of people that he does not like. 
They've done terrible things. And he, he doesn't want God to forgive them. He wants God to punish them. They deserve punishment. He wants, their, he wants God to visit them, them with his, his judgment. To destroy that sense of, 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 of what they have done and they seem to be getting away with it. That God will forgive them instead. He wants the full force of God's punishment on these people. But the trouble is they repent. God forgives them. And and Jonah, in a sense, is saying, that's exactly why I wanted to run away in the first place. So Jonah is angry and he's struggling with this. Jonah's very judgmental on God's judgment here. Folks, I'm not sure if you're like this, but there are times when I have questions that I call out, I shout out to God, that I'm wrestling with, that I'm working my way through, that it just doesn't seem fair. That where is your judgment, God? There's a lack of justice here. Please show it. How can, can, for example, how can a sexual predator end up in heaven? How can good people end up in hell? I can't find joy in heaven if there are people I love who are in hell. My father could be in heaven with me despite abusing me. I can't work that out. God. These are questions that people bring to me and I think they're good questions. I can understand that. Where is the justice, God? Where, what is fair? You know, I'm not sure when you watch the news, but when you see high-powered people or you see um, celebrities do something wrong and they go to the courts and they just seem to get off. You ever notice that? Does that ever happen to you? How do they get off? If that was me, I wouldn't get off. I'm still driving around. I'd lose my license. How did that happen? Doesn't seem fair. Disappointed. I'm angry. We want to see punishment for the guilty. We want hard judgment to come down. Hey, if they've done something wrong, they need to, they need to face punishment for their action. So they won't do it again and hopefully deter others not to do it again. That's what we want to see when people go to court for doing wrong. We want them to go through rehabilitation so they get themselves right so they won't do it again. They'll come out better people. And in fact, there's a little bit of us that actually wants them to uh, face a little bit of retribution for what they've done when people have done bad things to other people. We want them to suffer. C.S. Lewis writes this. I think it's a... uh, It's a really good writing here that he says. He says, we demand of a deterrent, not whether it is just, but whether it will deter. We demand of a cure, not whether it is just, but whether it succeeds. Thus, when we cease to consider what the criminal deserves and consider only what will cure him or deter others, we have tactically removed him from the sphere of justice altogether. 
We want judgment. We want punishment. We want things to deter people. We want them to be transformed. We want even actually retribution for them to go through. Even actually, if it's not fair. Which brings us to this. Where where does God's mercy and God's mercy and justice sit in all of this? You know, by definition, when you extend mercy, you, you do so at the expense of justice. Justice says... You deserve this, and you, you have done this, and you will get this because of what you did. Mercy says you did this, and you're gonna, you deserve to get that, but I'll give you this instead. I'm going to lessen the punishment. I'm going to remove the punishment. Picture this for a moment. A murderer goes to court, admits his guilt, Evidence is clear. The judge says, you are guilty. It's very clear. You've admitted it. But hey, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to let you off. Just go home and just don't do that again. Control yourself. Can you imagine the outrage? I think I'd probably nearly be first in line. (laughs) You've got to be joking. There's a collapse of hope in the justice system and the judge... What's going on? So when we think of God and when we think of his justice to be merciful, where does that sit? Does that affect his judgment? Jonah highlights this. He says, God, you're too gracious. You're too compassionate. It's not fair. Folks, we, we... Think oh, I think I'm a pretty good person, really. I don't do a lot wrong. I have no intention of murdering anyone, stealing your car, unless it's a Ferrari. No, I don't. I don't intend. I don't. That's not me. I think I'm a pretty good person. I look out there and I think there's a lot of pretty good people here. Actually, all of you. But here's the thing: we deceive ourselves. We're, We're not really good people. On the other hand, God is absolutely holy, pure and righteous, as we read. Yet God looks at the dark side of our character, the things where we've gone wrong, where we've hurt others, where we've deceived others, where we've passed moral judgment on others. And what God does is he passes his judgment on us and then he is moved to the depth of his very being to do something about that and it's called the cross that's what he did he went to the cross at the cross we became one with Christ every sin was dealt with by him for us that his feeling, as we spoke about last week, his anger uh, against sin is dealt with. It's poured out. That the sin that the judgment deserves has been taken to the cross by God through his son Jesus, once and for all. And if you want to know how seriously God takes the sins and the actions that are committed against you, the outrageous acts 
that we see around us, all the disappointment in life that we have, the disillusionment, the failure of justice, and the terrible things that have happened to you, if you want to know how seriously God takes all of those things, the very answer is this. He takes them very seriously. In fact, deadly serious. God in Christ takes on the full force of all consequences of sin on the cross. That is his mercy. Justice is met. You know, he doesn't say, well, that sin just doesn't matter. It matters to him. We read that time again in Scripture. He doesn't say to the woman who's asking, hey, my father abused me growing up. He doesn't say and doesn't want to say to her, it doesn't matter. It does matter to him. There is a penalty that that person deserves. The judgment will come to that person. But he has paid the price on the cross. We've become one with Christ. He doesn't exercise his mercy at the expense of justice. God exercises his mercy through his justice. It's through the justice of the cross where the price has been paid. It's, it's just incredible. As I think about this and I've thought about it through the week, I think this is just incredible. That's why we sing about the cross. That's when we're here and we, people are leading us through songs of the cross. It should literally, many a time, just draw us to tears with such thanks for what that represents for us when it comes to God's love and his judgment. Let me, let me close with this final thought. You know, a lot of people ask me, uh, what's, how's God going to judge on the last day when he returns? Well, that's a pretty loaded question. But many of us think when, when, when the coming judgment comes of God, a lot of us are thinking, well, I'm going to be pretty fearful on that day. How will he judge me? Will it be show? Will there be any love? What will it be like? I'm actually pretty fearful of it. If you're here today as a Jesus follower, I would like to say this. You don't need to be fearful. Be ready. Because justice will be done. God, the God of judgment, will bring in a type of justice that also contains hope. Hope for us. I love what Isaiah 42 says. It says this, verse 1, it says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. In faithfulness, he will bring forth judgment. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. The consequence of God's justice is hope. God's justice restores, that is, love in action. He restores those who have had incredible pressures on their lives. He restores those who turn to him, who have made choices that, that they regret. You may have those choices. You go, I regret those. They will be restored where you've messed up your life in so many ways. We don't need to fear judgment as Christians 
There's, there's no, it's not like there's not going to be judgment. There will be. But, but God brings his justice in a way that is met with what he has done on the cross. That God has paid the price. There is hope for the guilty who make themselves one with God. And that, my friends, is the catch. Who make themselves one with God. Folks, there are going to be people who will choose to be unrepentant for their actions. Who on that day when Jesus returns, they've refused to say sorry. They've refused to make themselves one with God. And, and they too will stand before God like I will. And, and God is a fair and loving judge and he will judge them for that. Justice will not fail on that final day. But it's a choice. Do I want to be one with God or not? God wants you and I to choose to surrender to him, to believe in him, to live our life for him, to welcome him into our life, to welcome his love, to welcome his judgment, to welcome and accept what he has done on the cross. For those who choose to accept and surrender to this, And those who choose not to accept that same grace and forgiveness and fairness will be shown. God is and will be utterly fair. And his justice will be shown in his judgment. Is God, can God be a God of love? And can he also be a God of fair and just judgment? I say to you, absolutely, 100%. Let's pray together. God, I truly believe within your character you are a God of abounding in love for each and every one of us, despite our failings, despite our weaknesses. You are a God of character that has abounding in love. We thank you even as it was expressed in Jonah's frustration that you are gracious, that you are compassionate. And I pray that this morning we can go from here knowing that that is your character. And I pray for those that may well be here this morning that are not experiencing any type of that kind of love, that they would want to welcome it and accept it into their life. We truly believe too, God, that you are, the scriptures are very clear and I truly believe it, that you are a God who brings and will bring judgment. A day will come and you are a righteous judge. You are fair and you are a God in your judgment that is just but full of mercy also. And I pray as we think about that and even hopefully accept that, that we may well think about our own life, where we are with you in life. God, again, I pray for those who who are struggling with even accepting your love, that they would want to welcome that into their life. But also I pray for those of us that even not accepting that you are a God who is a God who is judged too. 
and your judgment will come. And I pray that we would live knowing that that is part of your character and what that means for us in our everyday life and how we live life. We, I look forward to that day. I'm, God, even that removal of fear for me is such a good thing. I look forward to that day when you return. When, when you do, as the scriptures say, come to judge the living and the dead. And you will do that fairly, justly. And we thank you for that. So may we go from here knowing that you are indeed a God that is a God of love. And you are a God of judgment. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.